you join me in praying? Heavenly Father, as we spend time in your word together, would you please enlighten our hearts? Help us to learn and to grow and to draw closer to being like Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I invite you to be seated. Good morning again. So glad that you are here with us. Emerson Moser retired on December 13th in 1990. He had served 37 years in his company. He had also reached the top of his particular profession. He was known as the best. He had one small issue. He was colorblind. Really, he was green-blue colorblind. And his profession was making Crayola crowns. Crayons. <laughs> he didn't make crowns, he made crayons. <laughs> he was one of the guys and one of the lead guys to mix the colors that would create the crayons. He had some difficulty sometimes with the green and the blue. Not always able to tell, not always able to see the difference between them. There's a lot of things, I think, in our lives that we don't always see. One of the hardest is when we don't see Christ. And what happens on this day that we're going to read about, that we just heard and we're going to talk through this morning, it is the day of the resurrection. This is the afternoon after he has risen from the dead, and these disciples that are walking along they do not recognize him. They cannot see that Jesus is with them. And my question for you this morning as we dive in, are there times that you cannot see Jesus in your life? This week, we want to talk about some of the reasons why. Next week, we want to talk about some of the things that Jesus did to help them see him. What do you do when you can't see Jesus in your life? Open your Bible, if you would, to Luke chapter 24. You'll find it on page 1507 in the Pew Bibles. Luke chapter 24. What kept these disciples from seeing Jesus? Luke 24. Here's the first thing that kept them from seeing Jesus and might keep us from seeing Jesus in our lives. They were being prepared by God. Look at verse 13 again. Now that same day, again, resurrection day, two of them will learn later one of them is Clopas. And it is possible, and some in the early church and today believe, that it actually was Clopas and his wife. We don't have the other one named, but we have another variation of this name, Clopas, in the Gospel of John, and it mentions his wife, and so this may actually be Clopas and his wife. They came to Jerusalem 
And now they are possibly either heading home to Emmaus or on their way somewhere toward home, and Emmaus is partway there. They're going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed, and the English translation is hiding a little of this, this is an emotional discussion. They aren't just chatting. The things that have happened in Jerusalem have very much impacted them, and this is a relatively intense emotional discussion. And you'll see some of that in some of what's going on with them a little later on as they describe it to Jesus, but just realize as they're walking along, it's not like, hey, how's the weather? Oh, hey, I like the new outfit you've got. That's cool. You know, this is a long trip. This is, God, I can't believe this. Can't believe these things have happened. What are we going to do? This is an intense discussion. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Keep that in mind. He's walking with them. He's overhearing some of what they are saying. But they were kept from recognizing him. This is the first reason they don't see Jesus. They're being kept. This is a passive thing. And it almost always refers to God working in somebody's life. We see this very same thing twice in Luke's gospel. When Jesus is telling the disciples, I'm going to die in Jerusalem and be raised on the third day, but they're being kept from fully understanding it. And the reason is probably this, and it's probably the reason that God would do it for us sometimes. They're not ready. They aren't ready to see the risen Lord yet. And what we know from this is later on in Luke's gospel, when he does appear to the 11 at that point, They're freaked out. They think he's a ghost. They're not sure what to do. So this is something in their lives that they need a preparation for. They need to be ready for it. It's not that there's anything wrong with the information or with Jesus coming back from the dead or anything like that. There's nothing wrong with them. They're just not ready. This is similar to what's going on in the Garden of Eden. God is trying to give wisdom to his people by letting them obey him, but he offers them an option. Here's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what happens when they decide to take that option? It completely overwhelms them. They become ashamed. They don't know what to do. They are hiding from God. They weren't ready. There's times where God is either wanting to do something in our lives or is doing something in our lives, but we may not be ready to receive it all. He's preparing us. I thought of it like this, partly because I have kids, and so I think about these things. Movie ratings. G, PG-13, PG, R, NC-17. There's all these ratings for movies. Originally, the rating system, when it started back in the 20s, didn't have that. The rating system was all about certain moral positions that were forced onto the movies. You can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. And the reason was because they didn't want the government interfering. 
And as soon as they did things that were inappropriate, the government might step in. So they came up with this rating system to say, we're just not going to do these things. Then the government will leave us alone. However, as time moves on and you get into the 60s, in 1968, they instead adopted the system we have now. And here's the basis of the system. I found this fascinating. There are a group of independent parents that watch the films. And then the parents have the categories of nudity and language and all these things. And they rate according to what they think a parent should know about this movie. So the rating is not this is good or bad. The rating is no judgment on the actual movie. It's meant to simply be informational so that a parent can go, okay, this is PG-13. I now get to decide, is my child ready? Someday my kid probably will be ready for all these various things, but I need to decide right now, should my seven-year-old watch this? Should my nine-year-old watch this? Should my 14-year-old watch this? I'm determining, are they ready? That's what is happening here. God is getting them ready to receive something very profound. God at times may hide himself from you, wanting you to trust that he is working because he's building something in your life. He's preparing you for what he's going to do. Number one, they were being prepared by God. Number two, they were being consumed by guilt, by grief, guilt. I should not use alliterations. It makes me just jump off. I've got God and grief. They were being consumed by grief. Go back into the text. Verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Now look at their reaction. Um, Luke is a good storyteller. They stood still, their faces downcast. Don't miss this. They are walking along. They're having this emotional discussion about all these things that have taken place. And then somebody comes up with them and starts walking along. And then partway through, he says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they just stop. And their faces are, you see, they know that this man has been walking and hearing some things they've been talking about, and they are amazed he doesn't know what's going on. If I said to you guys, the level of flood watch is this right now, would I need to mention the Mississippi or would you all know what I'm talking about? I wouldn't need to mention it, right, because of where we live. There's certain things you can say that, like, I don't even have to mention the name. You'll know what it is. They just, they're blown away. They're downcast. They're distraught. They're like, how can you not know? And they begin to describe one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? How can you not know this? What things, he asked And they begin to describe. And this is where you can see, not only were they downcast, having this emotional discussion, they are lost, they are confused, they are a little bit angry. I'm going to read just a little bit of it. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Here's some of what is probably some anger. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. They knew Jesus. They were friends with Jesus. But we had hoped 
that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. We thought he was the one. We thought he was the long lost. We'd been waiting for so many generations. We thought this was the guy. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place, which is either a reference to their grief or they had some idea of him talking about the third day and nothing has happened. He's lost to us. These guys or husband and wife, whatever it is, they're consumed by grief, by their emotion. They aren't paying any attention hardly to this guy. They probably even barely noticed that he walked up. Have you ever been overwhelmed by emotion? Whether it's grief or anger or anxiety, how does that impact you? How does that keep you from seeing some of the things around you, the people around you? I just had this experience with anxiety. So a great moment happened yesterday, a moment that I wasn't quite prepared for. Last night, I stood in my garage as my daughter got into the car without me for the first time. And she backed out of the garage and I watched as she drove away on her own. Now, she's ready. She is prepared. In fact, she took her driver's test on Friday. And as the guy came out for them to go out to the vehicle, the guy, like you could tell from a distance and Kira confirmed later, he was like a robot. I mean, just, and I thought, oh no. Like, this is just going to, what's this guy going to do? So he comes out, and he's just like a robot as he walks and everything, and they walk out to the car, and I'm, I'm waiting in the waiting area of the DMV, and I waited there for about, I don't know, 30 seconds till I couldn't stand it, and then I got up, and I headed to the window, and there's like, as you're standing at the window, there's these multiple windows, and I'm standing there, and I'm like, ah, ah, and, and, and if I bit my nails, I would be. And it's, again, it's not, I wasn't really nervous about her. Like, she is ready, she is prepared, but I know when it comes to big moments, somebody's going to get nervous. And apparently it was me. And I'm just doing this and I'm like kind of moving around a little bit. And I'm like, ah, and I'm just waiting. And the guy's out there, okay, turn your blinker on and turn your lights on and do this and do this. And I'm like, would you please just let her drive? And at some point, they finally drive away. And that just ratcheted up my nerves as I waited for them to come back. And I'm watching and every car coming. And at some point as I'm watching all these cars come back, I'm like, no, that's not it. No, that's not it. No, that's not it. I notice there's an older gentleman standing behind me. And he's just standing there. And I'm like, and I kind of look back and I went, hey. And he went, hey. Come on, come on. And I notice he's still standing there. Like, he's not leaving. And I'm getting a little bit like, look, I'm too nervous for you to be standing there hovering over my shoulder. And I finally look back and I'm like, hey, uh, did you need something? Um, and he goes, you're standing in front of the door. <laughs> I had not even like noticed there's a window because I'm just so intense on what is happening. Do you ever get lost in your emotion? Whether it's anxiety or fear or anger or whatever it is. And you know what? They are so lost in what they're going through and they're rehashing it. Do you ever do that in the midst of your grief? or your bitterness, or your anger, or your frustration, kind of rehash the things that are going on, you know what they don't do? They don't invite God into it. And I know I do that too. 
There's these times where I'm like, I, God might actually be trying to do something, but I'm so overcome by the stuff I'm in that I'm not really looking to him. I'm just standing there staring out the window and God's like right behind me going, hello, I'd like to help. They don't see Jesus because they're consumed by their grief. And lastly, I told my daughter on the way home yesterday, I'm like, I don't usually use alliteration, but I had this thing going on accident where I went, they were being prepared by God, they were being consumed by grief, and I got to my third point. They're being fooled by, and I'm embarrassed to say I spent about 20 minutes trying to find a G word. (laughs) I could not find a good G word. It just, nothing was there. So I'm punting a little bit. Here's my G word. They were being fooled by glossing over portions of scripture. (laughs) I got my alliteration in there. That is what happens, but not better. They're missing part of the picture of Jesus because they're missing part of the scriptures. Look at this last part. They describe everything and they get to verse 24. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Gosh, if I could ever have been part of a Bible study, that would have been it. Could you imagine walking along the road with Jesus as he talked through the entire Old Testament and showed you himself throughout its pages? But here was the point. They had a very narrow vision of what Messiah was going to be, about what Jesus would do. They saw all the good parts. They saw the power that Messiah would have. They looked for the kingdom. But the whole idea of suffering wasn't part of their equation. And yet Jesus walks them through going, this has always been part of the plan. On Good Friday, I said that part of our stations, we were quoting out of Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 was seen by the early church and parts of the New Testament as talking about Christ. And it's all about suffering. Psalm 22, why, oh, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God. These were all part of the image, and yet they didn't have it. When you don't have the fullness of who Jesus is, you're likely to miss some of the things Jesus is doing. Because you're only looking for, you know, in some cases, all the good. Here's what I think we're good at, and and I'm guilty of this, so just tell me if this fits with you. I am good at seeing the good things that God does and saying, yay, God, I am good at noticing where other people need God to work in their lives, but I'm not always good about my own. It's sometimes much easier to say that person needs to practice forgiveness and work on their anger and not speak like that and do these things. It's a little harder to look back in the mirror and be, oh, wait, me too. It's also very hard at times to think, and I just, I know we've heard this, but I want you to really let this sink in. 
the kingdom came through suffering. Do you not think that the people of God and the work of God in the lives of his people will also involve suffering? Suffering is not something that we should always be going, oh no, God's not in my life because things are going bad. It may actually be God working in your life even as his own son suffered on the cross to bring redemption. We need a full picture of how this thing works. Or sometimes God is doing something and we're missing it. Back in 1863, on the second day of the Battle of Gettysburg, Robert E. Lee had a choice to make. And the choice that he made after surveying the field from two different locations was to send in his second-in-command, James Longstreet, at the Battle of Little Round Top. And he would lose the battle. And for years, historians questioned, why in the world did he do that? He was known as a good strategic commander. And this was not a good strategic move. And there were these questions. Why would he have done this? Ten years ago, they developed this really amazing mapping software. And they used part of it to look over the battlefield. And they looked from the various viewpoints he had. And then using journal entries and other things from the time, they reconstructed what they believe he might have seen. And the interesting thing was, if it is accurate, what he saw would have told him, attack. Send in the troops. We've got this. The problem was, from the vantage points where he was at, he could not see many of the dips and valleys within the field of battle where enemy forces would have been. He simply didn't see the entire picture. And he made a move based on part of his information. We do the same thing at times with God. Sometimes even attributing things to God that we never should have. Simply because we're not seeing the fullness of who he is and how he works. So these disciples do not see Jesus. They don't recognize him. In fact, we're going to see next week as we continue this passage, even after this, they still don't quite get him. Something has to happen for them to recognize him, but part of the reasons they didn't, number one, God was preparing them. Number two, they were consumed by their emotion. And number three, as Jesus said, they simply did not believe all that the prophets had spoken. They didn't believe all of the scriptures. If that is true of us, there are times we will miss what God is doing and maybe not see Jesus. Now, I have two very brief applications. Number one, think on those three things in your life when you are feeling like God is not working. And ask yourself, very intentionally ask yourself, are one of these things true of me? And then number two, Emerson Moser, the retired gentleman, he did something that helped him. And I think it can help all of us if we have the humility to do it. He said at his retirement, 
he was not sad to go. He'd been doing this for 37 years. He was 62 years old. And it wasn't easy work, he said. But I would, he said he'd miss two things. He loved when kids came into the factory and saw all of this you know, wax they're pouring in and all of the crayons that were coming out and all of his things. He said their eyes would just get huge. And it gave him such joy to see that. And he said he would miss his coworkers. Not only were they friends and people he enjoyed being with, but when he wasn't sure between the blue and the other blue and the other blue and the 13 blues that Crayola wanted him to make, he would sometimes go to one of them and say, I'm not totally sure which one it is. Can you help me? Did I get the right color? Do you have the humility to ask somebody around you, I'm really not seeing God right now. I don't know what he's doing, but I'm not seeing him. Can you help me? And then, the harder part, to listen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the amazing things that you do in our lives. We don't always see it. In fact, sometimes we completely miss it. I think every one of us have had experiences of hindsight where we've seen you work. But Lord, in those moments where it seems you're absent or silent or we just don't understand, will you help us to see why it is we're not seeing you and to lean in and trust you, even if it takes some time? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.